Hello and welcome to episode 303 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Oh, you know how good of an episode it's going to be based upon how, how accented you're of. It, <laughs> it was kind of unaccented this week. Does that mean it's going to be a bad episode? I thought it was pretty accented. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe I have it, will be a, it will be a bad episode. Yeah, we're recording it, but we have a special <laughs> guest with recording. us later. Somebody so else is here. The, there'll be someone else talking besides us, so that'll be pleasant as uh, as we get into it here. Uh, let's start with this week's beer. And this week's beer is a tie-in to that guest that will be joining us, the proprietor of No Boat Brewing Company in Snoqualmie, Washington? I thought it was Woodenville. Woodenville? I should have looked Boy. this up. It's Snoqualmie. You're wrong. Oh, oh I am wrong. Wrong well, again. Yeah. I'm uh, not going to mention anything about the state of Oregon right now. Don't worry. <laughs> it will not come up. Either way, they're in Washington State, in Western Washington, the Jandy Ronson double IPA. And and we'll be talking to David Skibar, friend from No Boat, uh, and the Dome and Bedlam podcast about... The Seattle Mariners and the baseball lockout, which, cheers to this, was just extended. Yeah, yeah, let's toast to that. <laughs> so, but most importantly, we can always toast to the 90s. And, An exciting end to a strike that was followed by Randy Johnson celebrating in a pose similar to the one that Jandy Ronson is using on this can. Are you going to post this can on Instagram? Of course I am. Okay, there we go. Uh, so this this week's beer is the Janie Ronson from No Boat, and they say are insanely scrummy. Double dry hopped, double IPA, good God, is loaded with freestyle hops, Nelson, Sauvon, and a heavy helping of Hollingberry and Sun Mosaic for lush lemongrass, dank blueberry, passion fruit, and citrus peel notes. Okay, so you're very excited that you read that better than last week when it yes. was a problem. But I noted that you said Hollenberry and Sun Mosaic as if Sun Mosaic was the thing. It's yes. Hollenberry and Sun. That's, uh, that's, that's the... The hop is called Hollenberry and Sun? No, no, no. It's it, Mosaic is the hop. It comes from the providers Hollenberry and Sun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I, you didn't write commas on here, so I'm just reading it straight through. Don't think there's a comma there. Either way. Any, nowhere in the sentence is there a comma? I guess you did list them after lemongrass, dank blueberry, passion well, fruit, and citrus peel notes. Well, that I took just took off their Instagram post, but I did have to write comma. out the Hollenberrian sun because it was a, a handle. It was a clickable link okay. in the post. <laughs> Anyways. Oh we should drink this. I'm excited. I just got a note here. I love when I get notes from, from the producer, <laughs> Mrs. Fantasy Genius. Oh, shit. I need a $50 physical Pagliacci gift card by Thursday. She knows who to ask. <laughs> this is what having children in youth sports will do to you, is you need $50 Pagliacci gift cards by Thursday for an auction. Physical ones. 
right, this week we only have one actual toast on the list, and that's a congratulations to Seattle U men's basketball coach Chris Victor, who had the interim tag removed from his title Tuesday. There we go. After a successful season replacing Jim Hayford after Hayford resigned early in the season. The Red Hawks' 22 wins are their most since returning to Division One in 2009, and currently they are second in the WAC at 13-4 and four ahead of Saturday's regular season finale with a realistic chance of returning to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1969. Wow. I'm not, that, that doesn't even deserve a nice. That's just impressive. I mean, they haven't done it yet. They will, it'll be a much bigger test if they get to the NCAA tournament for the first time since our, our parents graduated high school. Is Seattle U better than UW right now? They're pretty similar in Ken Palm. <laughs> They're in the same ballpark. I think they might be a couple of spots in a higher. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to say this word, and I'm going to say it wrong. Now, if I recall correctly, Jim Hayford left the program ignominiously. That's that's an accurate way to do it. Is that an accurate way to, to pronounce that word? Yeah, it's, a res- it's in the ballpark. Oh, UW is four spots higher. UW's 124 in Ken Palm, Seattle U 128. Where, who wants Chris Victor? He was an assistant coach on Hayford's staff. Had from followed where, him though? from Eastern Washington. I, I don't know his background off the top of my head. I'm sure I've read about it at some point, but he he wasn't someone who you know had come on my radar uh, prior to getting this interim role. Certainly. So. I mean, it's a pretty impressive job that he, he's done there as head coach. He played at Concordia Irvine, which is an NAIA school where they won the NAIA championship in 2003 uh, and had coached there as an assistant for an extended <laughs> period of time, was the head coach at Citrus College. <laughs> Citrus College sounds which made up. <laughs> it does. It sounds like it's in... It's like the rival in community. In community, like, Citrus or, College. Or Citrus College is where, uh, what's his name, went to school on the good place. It's in Jacksonville. It could be in Jacksonville, too, right? Oh, Citrus, Citrus College. College? Yeah, yeah, no, it def- definitely sounds like that. <laughs> I was imagining it was sort of like... It is a community college, for the record. Citrus Colleges? Yeah. Like an orange juice brand was like, we send our oranges <laughs> to Citrus College, and then they come back, ready to squeeze. That's what it really sounds that is a, it is a real Apologies to the fine people at Citrus College. Yeah. Kudos to you. Good work. Uh, and then connected with Hayford at Eastern Washington and uh, then came over to Seattle U and now is the head coach there. So congrats to him. We're also this week remembering original Marian, Mariner Julio Cruz, who passed away Tuesday at age 67. Cruz, who held the Mariners steal record until Ichiro passed him in 2008, played seven years in Seattle and had served as a Spanish language broadcaster for the Mariners since 2003. So sad to hear. Obviously, this week also thinking of the people of Ukraine and lots of opportunities seen on Instagram to support relief funds with local businesses. Saw that Treat Cookies is doing that on All Saturday, right. that uh, part of the proceeds from every cookie they sell on Saturday will go to the World Central Kitchen mm-hmm. Ukraine Relief Fund. So definitely check out those opportunities if you can. Certainly neither of us will be here to participate, but uh, hopefully you can. Have we talked about where we're going this weekend? I've talked about it on the Hoop Collect. I haven't talked about it on this. Wow. Okay. Name dropping again. Yes. They didn't invite me onto the Hoop Collective for some reason. You're not part of the collective. Let me just tell you, I have takes. I didn't even know the Hoop Collective. Is that the Windhorse podcast? Yeah. Okay. Windhorse and the Hoop Collective. (laughs) It's like Prince and the Revolution. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Got it. Uh, Which member of the revolution did that? Does that make me? uh, 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 Sheila E. (laughs) I don't know. I would take it. Um. More like Iggy and the Stooges. Anyway, 
the <laughs> wow. Uh, still waiting my invite. Okay, you don't work for ESPN or write about the NBA, so unlikely it's going to be forthcoming. I've got takes. But, so I'm headed for the first time in history. It's going down. I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee. A city that I visited for the first time last fall. Wow. So the Pelton brothers both hit up Nashville in a six-month span here. Do you have any recommendations? I haven't talked to you about this at all. Well, you got to get the hot chicken. Hattie B's. Did you go to Hattie B's? No, not Hattie Prince's. Bees. Okay. I, I went to Prince's, not Hattie Bees, yes. How hot did you get at Prince's? Oh, I got it mild. How much did it affect you? I, you know, I, it didn't affect me that badly. Okay. But it was definitely like I was worried about it for an extended period during the evening. Because I'm only going to Nashville for like three days. Right. So you I, don't want to mess up your other eating opportunities? Well... I'm a little bit concerned because I'm a person who has no self-control. And if I'm at a hot chicken place, I'm going to get hot chicken. Does that make sense? Right? It does. So I'm a little bit concerned that if I go to Prince's Hot Chicken, that I'll get too hot of chicken and I will fuck up the entire trip. It is very plausible. So I, I personally am like, I don't know if I can do it. But is that is that stupid? Should I just get the hot chicken? Should I not overthink this? I think you should not overthink this. Okay. It's definitely the specialty. Okay. You go to a town, you got to get the specialty in the town, at least the first time you go, right? Okay, fine. Uh, I am going to Boston for the Sloan Conference being held for the first time since 2020. Wow, you and Daryl Morey finally reunited. <laughs> yes, it's it's been some period of time here. So... Uh, uh, Going to catch a couple of Celtics games there is the plan. Hmm. So, I don't know that the eating will be particularly good this weekend. That's not usually a strength of the Sloan weekend. Well, you just like you're at a convention, you know, you're at a conference all day. You're not like driving all around the city to go to the best restaurants. All right. So, we'll say. Fair enough. Uh, I do want to have a Seattle food update before we get to our guest this week. And that's to talk about the start of Lil Woody's Fast Food Month, which opened Tuesday with the K-Squared FC from J. Kenji Lopez, alt author of the forthcoming The Walk, Recipes and Techniques. Uh, and that featured fried chicken with Korean spices, chili oil, dill pickles, which obviously I did not get, and gochukaru ranch as a sauce. So that's like uh, Korean chili powder in the sauce. So it, it comes out, you know, kind of like a, you know, like a, a spicy sauce on, you know, a chicken sandwich, basically. Everybody was really excited to hear I how this was. I got so many DMs about it after I posted it on about this. So the, the chicken was fried incredibly well. I thought okay. that, was, that was really great. It was, uh, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't so different, I think, it wasn't necessarily as Korean spiced as I was expecting. Like I, I didn't intentionally get one for our mom because I figured she might might not like it if it was too spicy. She could have eaten this for sure. The the ranch, the the uh, chili powder ranch uh, sauce was quite good. I could have even done with more of that. I think than I had on my sandwich. So may, you know maybe if if you will get more on yours, it's definitely worth trying. Okay. So this is the start, of course, of Fast Food Month, a different burger, or in this case, chicken sandwich, 
from four different local chefs over each of the next four weeks. I'll be eating all of them and reviewing them on the pod. And of course, if you get all four of them, the reward this year is Little Woody's tote bag. There we go. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to hear about these as they come along. I had one other chicken note. Oh, wow. So I'm not rewatching because I haven't one other seen it before. Note. Top Chef Seattle. Okay. The, uh, the season that was set here, season 10. And uh, in the most recent episode I watched, they go to this house that, uh, I don't know if Tom Colicchio was actually staying there, but presu- that, that was how it was pitched, uh, right near the Fauntleroy Ferry, like not, not far from where I am now, but uh, many times more valuable is it's right on the water uh-huh. and you've got the view there. And uh, they had many notable chefs. David Chang was there as one of the guest judges. Uh, Emerald was also one of wow. the judges. Wolfgang Puck, uh, one of the judges. Uh, John and Vinny of John and Vinny's were there. And uh, Tom asked them to cook fried chicken. Oh. And do you know what their number one complaint was? What was their some number of the one complaint? That didn't score as well in the fried chicken challenge. I'm so fast that they did a breast instead of a thigh. That's part one. Okay. What do you think part two is? That it wasn't spicy enough? That they took out the bones. They took out the bones? Yeah, they did boneless. They all did chicken. boneless? Not, not all of them. I'm, a couple of them did. Wow. Including so you're saying we figured out fried chicken? <laughs> I don't know if I would say no. I just said I'm going to Nashville and not having fried chicken. So <laughs> I, don't, I think everyone else figured this out and then complained to us. And then we figured it out over the course of our Clearly the top season. chefs didn't figure it out. Some of them didn't, including Brooke Williamson, who is one of the stars of this season and is still involved with the Top Chef family. Like I, She did boneless? Fr- it's not fried chicken if it's boneless. That is, that is accurate. And, and she was told that repeatedly by the judges. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. She, she managed was to, shamed into keeping the bones in next time. Managed to skate through on this particular challenge, fortunately, but uh, uh, definitely heard that criticism. Wow. Wolfgang and Puck in particular was like very vocal about wanting the bones. Wow. I might have to rethink Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to go to the a Wolfgang Puck in the airport the next time you see him. <laughs> yeah. Get some chicken strips. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would defeat the whole purpose. <laughs> I'm just saying. This understanding where Wolfgang Puck has become. But that's very fascinating. And, and it was quite fun to watch that that particular episode. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the whole thing. There was actually... Two of my coworkers at the Sonics were on camera during the restaurant wars as guests at the restaurant. So that was funny. They just happened to be there or they intentionally went because it was Top Chef? I mean, you it, 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 they create like a pop-up restaurant for okay. the night. So they went to like a Top Chef pop-up. Who are we talking here? Uh, Zach Daniels and Ali Hummels. I don't know if you remember Zach from the Sonic softball oh, team. Oh, I back do. In the day. I do. Is he the yeah. one who went to Oregon State? He was on the Oregon State baseball team? No, he was on the UW baseball team. Oh, wow. So so there you go. Me and him really bonded over our, our uh, skill with the sport in the one game that I played in. <laughs> when you got injured, <laughs> yeah. swinging and missing. I don't know, we've talked about that. I they think, had me right? playing catcher, too. <laughs> it's quite a night. But it was random. I had a, f- a friend I told that I was watching this particular Top Chef season, and they were like, "Be on the lookout for someone." And I've like been checking in the backgrounds of every scene. Like, oh, is that person who's eating? They were at the Bite of Seattle a couple episodes ago. Like, is that someone I know? And then it was like very obvious. 
uh, one of these two people has a line on the show. Wow. So it was a, it w- I could not have missed it, possibly. Wow. Name dropping again. I don't know if that, that quite qualifies <laughs> as name dropping. Uh, additionally, on Top Chef, the new season begins on Thursday there in Houston this year with Seattle's Luke Colpin, a Roosevelt grad who worked at Canlis before spending eight and a half years at Noma in Copenhagen, perhaps the most critically acclaimed restaurant in the world, as one of the competitors. Is this the year I should watch? I should we should start talking Top Chef every week? I don't know if we should talk about it every week. There's already a Top Chef podcast out there that's We don't have to do a full Top Chef podcast. We, well, can, we just... can talk about Luke, how he does, yeah. All right, we're going to follow Luke like we would follow Jake Hayner. There we go, exactly. Todd, Todd Golden, we'll let's see, freaking go. We'll see our guy Shota at some point as a guest judge. They couldn't get Wolfgang. <laughs> <laughs> what, is Emerald not available anymore? <laughs> I, I don't think they... I get the feeling Emerald is not available anymore. <laughs> They've, they've moved to a lot more alumni. Is Last year, they had exclusively alumni as the judges because of the fact that they were shooting during the middle of a pandemic. Uh-huh. And so they've kind of found that was successful and are going to continue it. Although I think there will be more you know, acclaimed chefs of that variety. I Many of you have claimed that the humor isn't quite as good because it's just become so self-referential now. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about this podcast. Loss of the magic it had before. Uh, with that, I think it's time to bring on David. Well, after players rejected owner's best and final offer before the 5 p.m. deadline Tuesday that was uh, delayed one day after extensive talks on Monday, Commissioner Rob Manfred delivered the news we sort of expected, I think, all offseason, that the first two series of the MLB season have been canceled, meaning opening day is not happening in MLB, at least not on March 31st, as originally scheduled, and to help us understand what's going what's going on, what it means for the Mariners, and uh, maybe a level more informed than our usual hot takes, <laughs> we're thrilled to welcome to the podcast the co-host of the Dome and Bedlam podcast and writer at domeandbedlam.com, David Skiba. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, excited to uh, connect. We, once upon a time, were jointly on the uh, Tasteful Profanity Live podcast, which was a good time. And I think I think your segment was the star of the night, if I recall correctly. I believe it was because we we derided Edgar Martinez. Oh, no, I forgot about <laughs> Just, that. <laughs> we made an incredibly hot take. I think that, of course, the first Mariners Hall of Famer was one who only played half the game. <laughs> well, somehow that fits right in with Tristan. Degrading. I know we Ichiro really do over here. Bob, we we don't. You do. We don't. Uh, oh my god. Let's let's start with you know. I said this was sort of what we expected. Is this kind of the outcome that you were expecting all along? Uh, yeah. I mean, what's crazy is uh, amongst you know the guys who we all used to try to look out landing at Dome and Bedlam, and now we all kind of do this pet project. We've been talking about it for like three years where it's like the most Mariners situation is they actually line it up a little bit and then the CBA doesn't go through and they have a strike year. So it's like there's no way we saw that and like Jerry DePoto didn't. (laughs) It's been a long time coming. Um, And, you know, after 25 years of no strike and labor being, I would say, you know, pretty much status quo, you knew things were changing, especially with the revenues that were starting to be bandied about. Um, I mean, Forbes valued the total valuation of the MLB at like just under $60 billion. So that jumped like that literally quadrupled in the last like five years or something. So the, you knew there, there was blood in the water and Manfred, you know, all he can do is stick his foot in his mouth. So 
<laughs> well, I think the best I think the best quote today was the uh, the concerns of our fans are at the very top of our consideration uh-huh. list. Yeah, they definitely yeah. wanted you to yeah, cancel the games. guy who called the MLB trophy or the uh, World Series trophy a piece of metal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that quote until this week. Oh, that yeah. was quite something. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it seemed last night, if there was anybody following along on Twitter, mm-hmm. which I feel like a lot of people were, yep. it seemed like there was a lot of energy and trend. I expected to wake up and there would be a done deal, right? And then yeah. come today, everything looks radically different. And I guess For what sure. happened in that 24-hour process? So, man, I think, well, first of all, my personally, I'm, I'm – ecstatic that there isn't a deal for the players because the concessions are are crazy i mean uh what they first came at the league with was they wanted right now the mlb minimums it's under six hundred thousand dollars and the nhl's minimum is 750 i mean and i think it's crazy um and no league depends more on their minimum salaried players than the mlb like two almost two-thirds of mlb players in 2021 made league minimum um so the disparity there was was large, and the MLB, the PA, asked for seven seventy five as the min, and MLB eventually was talking about high sixes, which is a gap. And um, the concessions were were big, but it just seemed like there was energy for the players to just say, you know, screw it, let's have a season anyway. Um, and then I don't know. I, I know a, a huge sticking point for the players was they wanted um, super two status, which is essentially a function for MLB players to uh, reach salary arbitration faster. They wanted that for all players with two years of service time, because the MLB has this crazy salary structure where your first three years are more or less minimum and then you get to go through this arbitration. So they wanted it where any player with two years, of, like they wanted arbitration to happen a year earlier and owners would not let it happen. Um, and I really do think that's what eventually killed it last night because they were making concessions left and right um, in terms of, you know, the competitive balance. It's the soft salary cap of MLB. They've made huge concessions there. Um, I mean, the MLB's offer, increases the penalties for going over the competitive balance tax over what it was before. So even though MLB likes to frame it as they're making all these concessions, they're actively making it, they're de-incentivizing spending. And then I I think the other sticking point last night was the 14 team playoff, which is absurd. Like so many, even the Mariners could make it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys saw it, but in the 12 team format, they didn't make it last year. (laughs) (laughs) um but but there's just the gap is really big um and the amounts of money the amounts of money they're talking about in terms of um disparity is like it's like less than one percent of the league's revenue but the league's refusing to budge at all which is i think in this age of social media you're not going to see the players back down because that's like one of the first big changes with this CBA is so many MLB players have social media presence where I feel like that league really lagged there more than other leagues. Um, And them having their own voices and their outlets, I think has actually really helped strengthen their negotiation or I guess their, their resolve to not bend. Yeah. That's interesting context for this. I mean, you mentioned the long period of labor peace, the 94, 95 strike was just so disastrous that it felt yeah. like for a long period of time, there was a mindset of never can we let that happen again. 
mm-hmm. and now memories, you know, that's far enough in the rearview mirror that yep. that kind of perspective has been lost. And then it seems like the third factor here is just the way that Kevin Mather let us in on all of this a year ago. Yeah. The, the way that front offices and teams are run is taking advantage of the rules and occasionally to the point of seeming to be collusion in a way oh, yeah. that was making things worse for the players, even though the players, you know, weren't technically conceding anything in a negotiation. Absolutely. I mean, it came, I can't even remember because this it's been, I feel like the last 24 months for the MLB have just been disastrous PR, but I can't remember if it was last off season or the season prior where it was learned that there was a literal like wrestling championship belt that the front offices uh, hand around for whoever like had the best salary arbitration and reduced salaries the most. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it, what is crazy that the easiest way to look at the problem is since 2017, Every single year, the average MLB player salary has gone down. That's wild. It's crazy. And All revenues for the league are going up. And in that and in that amount of time, which is the amount of time that uh, John Stanton purchased the majority share, actually, it's like perfectly levels up. The average MLB It's, it's team, all John Stanton's fault. Yeah, it's, Stanton, it's all Stanton twirling that mustache. <laughs> He's out up there on Cougar Mountain, just up above it all. Um but in that same amount of time, the average MLB franchise's valuation has gone up from like, it's like 290 million to it's over 360 now. So, it, and that's, we don't even know what gambling money is going to do for these franchises. Oh my God. Like there's so much money on the table now. And when you specifically look at the Mariners, I mean, now they have the Kraken on their, their own network. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I think we've seen that quite a bit with baseball teams in particular owning networks and gobbling up TV rights of mm-hmm. other sports where it's like the, the Mariners are a conglomerate unto themselves. Absolutely. We talked about that before. Like it's something that's kind of unthinkable. It feels like for a lot of other sports teams, maybe outside of like the Barcelona system or something sure. like that. Uh, uh, well, I mean, and it's true for, it's not just true for the MLB, but, it, and at the same time, they're part of a federally regulated monopoly. Like there's never going to be another Seattle Mariners on first Avenue. Like they have exclusive rights to the property they literally play in a stadium that was taxpayer funded. I mean, they have the ultimate situation. Outside of greed. (laughs) It's like, we can all assume that that's the case. Like what incentive do the owners have for not caving a little bit here and making baseball happen? Or do they just not care if there's a season? I mean, I think the other thing I would submit is hubris, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Greed and hubris. Um, I, uh, I think there's, well, all these MLB owners have uh, other ways of making money and, you know, plenty of other, you know, pots they have their hands in. And I'm sure they look at their teams as, you know, guaranteed revenue or guaranteed backing if something goes wrong. So, uh, I, I mean, you're looking at a situation in where last year, the Pittsburgh pirates payroll was $50 million. And that team's valuation is probably 700 million and they probably revenued somewhere near 400 million. Like, like it's, it's just guaranteed money for these guys. Um, I, I think they're really scared about the minor leagues and having to pay their talent. That's not on MLB rosters, which is a whole different situation. And, you know, we see the league constantly trying to gut the minors and just have like, a tighter and tighter talent pool, which is, 
I mean, it's a really weird thing because there's so many good young baseball players. Like the current talent crop in the MLB is crazy good and it's crazy young. Um, so to see them, they're just not good stewards of the game. They're not forward thinking at all. Um, and I think the game's becoming less and less appealing for younger people. And at the same time, they're not losing money. So I, I don't know how you descend. You know, take away the carrot. I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, it does sort of raise the question of, you said earlier, you know, concern for if the players, if they had signed this current deal, because it would have been so unfavorable for them. But even though they've been preparing for this a long time and preparing to supplement players with some degree of income during this lockout, is there a way that they the leverage shifts from the owner's favor to the player's favor at some point? Is it as we get closer to a potential playoffs? I I, I mean, may, maybe. I, they, unfortunately, the players have a really weak hand just because of how much money these guys are making sitting on these you know sitting on these franchises. I I don't know. I'm sure there's a breaking point, but you know, that breaking point also exists for the players because they're getting close to forfeiting game checks. Um, right now they're in a situation where they wouldn't be paid for spring training. They're not getting game checks. So in March, the players can kind of look at it like, you know, sunk cost, sunk cost, but you know, when you start canceling games, then they're losing money and, and it's going to create a future storm of, you know, they're not going to sign off for a 14 team playoff if they're not making 162 games worth of, of paychecks. So, <laughs> it's just there's a lack of forward thinking by ownership in a pretty major way, especially in light of the concessions players were willing to make like last night. I mean, they more or less were meeting MLB 80, 85% of the way. Um, and just a couple sticking points kept the owners from going for it. Um, so the fact that they're, they're asking players to come so far towards them, I, I could see it lasting some time. As we talked about, I mean, this is kind of a uniquely terrible time for the Mariners to yes. lose the start of the season with all the excitement coming off of last year, the way this season finished, that thrilling final weekend with signing Robbie Ray, the development of young players at some point, possibly depending on what happens to the owner's beloved service time manipulation, Julio Rodriguez oh, yeah. coming to the major league. <laughs> That's what we know him as. Yeah. We've talked a lot about <laughs> service, time, service manipulation time manipulation on this <laughs> The Mariners were set to host the Tigers and the Angels in their first two series starting March 31st. Now their earliest possible home opener wouldn't be until April 15th against the Astros because they're on the road, the first two series that haven't been scheduled. And who knows how long this could continue to play yeah. out beyond that. Uh, what does that kind of do to the excitement coming off of last year among Mariners fans? I mean, it certainly doesn't help. Um, it's not like people are going to really lament a, a couple weekend series in March. I think at Safeco, <laughs> like if you, yeah, if you push it yeah. to September or early October, I think those are more appealing dates in terms of Seattle's weather. Um, I, you know, I, I think the the Seattle Mariners are definitely hurt by this, but everyone is equally hurt by this. Like this hurts player development. It hurts, you know, ability to sign guys. Obviously it strikes the Mariners at a really awkward time where, you know, theoretically they're pushing the chips in this year. Um, I have my own personal reservations about whether they're going to do that or not. Um, and, you know, at the same time, right before, you know, the CBA, you know, right before the lockout, 
the division was loading up. I mean, the Texas Rangers were signing everybody. Um, and the Houston Astros are, you know, they're the AL equivalent of the Dodgers. They will never, ever leave. They're just a monster. Um, so the Mariners are going up against a lot. You know, they have a obviously highly touted farm system. Um, I would say it's a, a relatively heavy farm system and they need guys to show. And <clears throat> I, I'd expect Kalanick to have a much better year, but then, you know, if we're only going to play 90 games, you're going to get way less development out of Gilbert and Kalanick. And you, you need those guys to really start showing because, you know, they're not, they're not like a Kuna. They're not like crazy young guys. Like, you know, Kalanick's what, 23, 22 or something. Yeah. He's a young player, but these guys are already, you know, they're down the ladder. They're down the path. They need some time to play baseball. Um, it really is kind of the most Mariners thing possible. Oh, it, <laughs> it is, it is perfectly the Seattle Mariners. It is. Let's uh, let's line it up during the labor strike. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I do have a secret counter take. My yeah. take for this podcast Please. is they're actually kind of better off because they're living in a world where everyone's so excited about the fluky run differential in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Keep it here forever. Run differential <laughs> without having to reckon with actually playing baseball games, which they might not win. Interesting. No, I, I I think it, you know, there's this really funny situation where there's, you know, let's play the game where the Mariners actually push the chips in. There's a very real likely outcome that they spend, you know, call it $60 million this year on player salaries and have a worse record. Oh yeah. I would say that's like the base expectation. Oh, for sure. Cause I would say right now, if you ran their current squad out, I'd put them at 78 to 82 wins. I think that's about where the simu- the projections that I've seen have them. Yeah, I like them a little less than Zips likes them, but that's it. I mean, four games over 162 is nobody can do that <laughs> kind of math. Um, yes. So uh, I, I think especially, and I actually, I I do think they might be the fourth best team, but the Oakland A's are, whenever we are allowed to, going to have a fire sale. So who knows what happens there? Um, and the Mariners might take advantage, which would be awesome. There's oh, there players on that roster. How is it that always Seattle sports teams end up in the divisions where every single other team is going <laughs> into all the time? It's pretty wild. Uh, like I, uh, it's, it's, a. I talk about this all the time. It's like, I don't think Brady happens in any other division except for the division that he played his whole career in more or less. Um, and well, then that's when Tristan's you think- Gonzaga theory right there. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's, it's a genius theory. The soft schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is pretty wild. And I, what was, you know, of course we all know is when the Astros first enter the AL West, they're the laughing stock of the MLB. And yet still in those first one or two years where they're like in a full tank, the Mariners still can't beat them. Like, <laughs> just I'd have the greatest rebuild basically of all time. For sure. And that's what, you know, MLB, the players association is trying to de-incentivize because they did sign off and got both sides to sign off on a draft lottery um, so that no one can really Astros it again. Cause you know, you had back-to-back years of the Cubs and the Astros winning the world series, which were like two drastic and obvious total tanks. Um, and that's what gets you five years of salaries going down. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you most excited about if we do have a Mariners season? Oh, wow. Um, I think Logan Gilbert is a very exciting major league baseball player. Um, uh, you know, if he can add 
his if his changeup can become a reliable pitch for him, which would be his third offering, I think he's probably one of the top five arms in our division, um, wow. and that's really cool. Uh, you know, we are all wondering what we'll see out of Kalnick. Um, you know, I don't expect him to have anywhere close to as bad of a year as he had last year. Um, and hopefully he doesn't have to play center field because it's never going to be comfortable for him there. Um, I, man, I desperately hope we see the Mariners go in for Carlos Correa. And I know that everyone's scared of that contract, but he is an absolute candidate for a move to third base and just let him thump. Um, and, you know, I think Robbie Ray is a really cool player who Jerry DePoto said, you know, wasn't even on their radar. Um, and it just kind of fell in their lap. And the fact that, you know, if they had plans beyond him, that whenever we get a season that you have Robbie Ray sitting right there, who I think is, you know, in an ideal, really loaded up playoff team, he's a fantastic number two starter. Um, the fact that the Mariners finally have some like legitimate bona fide MLB top end talent at starting pitcher is, I mean, really the first time since Felix went off the cliff. Um, so actually watching a, a, every five starts kind of guy who you want to see is something I'm, I'm personally really excited for. Yeah. Logan Gilbert's such an interesting one as well. I think he was called up on the same day as Jared Kellenic last yep. year, right? Yeah. They brought him up together. Yeah. And it was like, I, it felt like he was an afterthought and then ended sure. up playing way better than Kellenic. Oh, did. totally. Well, and he's just, you know, he's that classic um, young guy who's just like all legs and arms. So, you know, you just never know where the ball's going. It feels like, so, which makes the starts exciting. <laughs> Do we expect, and maybe does this change depending on how long the season is, Julio Rodriguez in the majors? I think so. I think you'll see him. And it, yeah, like it definitely depends on the length of the season. Um, but I, I can see a lot of, I would say the likelihood is beyond 50% that he wears a Mariners jersey this year. Um, obviously super injury dependent. Um, you know, he's, too exciting to keep down there if he if he you know succeeds at triple a there's easy reason to bring him up for a playoff push because of all the buzz you get and there's easy reason to bring him up if the team tanks because lord knows they're going to need to find people to sit in those seats in september um you know he's he's the rare there is no ceiling for julio rodriguez um as of right now just because of his youth and the bat is potentially, you know, crazy, crazy elite. Um, I don't know if his future is in the outfield, but it might not matter because the bat will likely play wherever he wants to be. Um, but I think, I think he makes an MLB show for the Mariners this year. I mean, right now Zips has him as their best player, which is a (laughs) little terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Which is more about the, the Mariners roster than who the other players. Yeah. The fun differential. It's a statement on that more than it's about Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. But I I do think he plays this year, which is cool. Really cool. Is he going to start in double A or triple A? Because the we, minor league season is happening, right? Yeah, it is. It's on schedule. Um, I think – I don't know, man. I Like, te- like it, it's technically up a level for him to go to AAA, um, but I could see them doing it just because – I mean, he, he had a great AA season. I don't, I don't think they're going to see – think that he needs a lot more seasoning there. And if, you know, they can always drop him down a level. Um, and there's not a ton on that AAA roster. So he's going to get, you know, 
all all that bats he wants. Um, I, I I could see him starting in Tacoma, and if he does, then I'd say the likelihood he shows up in the Mariners uniform is like over eighty percent, because that trip is a pretty short one. Yeah, and also maybe an opportunity there for people desperate for baseball to go check him out with a reasonable drive. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, so in addition to Dome and Bedlam, your day job is uh-huh. co-founder and head brewer at No Boat Brewing. We're yes. not coincidentally drinking the GND Ronson tonight on the pod. Uh, anything you besides the description that we already read you want to tell us about the, the GND Ronson? Uh, <laughs> obviously, a spoonerism. It came, uh, my fiance and I actually debate this all the time over who thought of the spoonerism. I'm pretty sure it was me but she believes it was her. Um, you know, the beer is just like a loaded uh, double dry hop, hazy IPA. We use a ton of a hop called Nelson Sauvin, which is uh, easily the most expensive hop that you can try and go and find in the world. Um, so we try to throw as much of that as we can in there straight out of New Zealand. Um, and I don't know, Randy's just the man. So we were like, we, he needs a beer. You know, everyone else gets a beer. Randy needs a beer. And I, I'd imagine the guys had a couple beers. <laughs> you would think, yeah. <laughs> the, the cans are definitely very awesome. Thanks, uh, man. The other thing I wanted to ask you, so this came yes. up on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And Perfect. perhaps the Jandy Ronson is your way of disproving this. I said, Uh-oh. I feel like there's not as exciting seasonal beers this time of year is there are summer, fall, and then winter, like winter, like November, December, that Christmas season, there's a lot of them, but then you get past into the new year until we get to summer. I feel like it's kind of a low point for seasonals. Is that a fair yeah. assessment? I think, I think you're not necessarily wrong. I also just think the seasonal styles that are, that breweries like to put out are just not sexy names. Like it's all like big loggers. Like no one's really looking for a big logger, despite them being fantastic. Like, Doppelbach is really big this time of year and Marzen and, and those are awesome beers, but you know, they're, it's the PNW and everyone wants hops or they want, you know, 14% stouts. So <laughs> it's not happening this time of year. Um, but you know, with, with the Seattle beer scene, it's just like, if, if you like hops, you're getting them year round. That's for sure. Um, they don't stop. The hops don't stop. The hops don't stop. <laughs> well, on that note, we appreciate so much you joining us to help us understand the uh, the MLB lockout and why it continues. And hopefully the next time we have you on, it'll be happier circumstances. We'll be playing baseball again. For sure. Thank you, you guys, so much. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, David. I, the, I think the most important thing that we're looking forward to is the return of the takes. Are we going to get return of the takes? I mean... If there's ever baseball, we'll get That's a return what I'm to takes. I don't know that there's going to be baseball anytime soon. Maybe the, the takes will be strictly anti-Rob Manfred and ownership takes for I w- a period of time. But those takes aren't even hot. They're just neutral. That's correct. They're- I was there watching the Rob Manfred press conference and tuned in. No, <laughs> I was there watching the Rob Manfred press conference thinking the same thing that everybody was thinking. When will you give us back the takes, <laughs> Rob Manfred? we want to look at what the box scores are every week not watch baseball but check in once a week and see how things are going and develop a strong opinion based upon that and have takes based on service time manipulation uh let's do we do love our service time manipulation our roundup it sounds like the the kraken our roundup Hmm? have you forgot oh i have forgotten actually yes
This is the last week of a segment which I should be asking you about this week. It is the final week, maybe forever. We'll see. I've vowed many times to retire from the profession. to a flame. Of Coach's Corner. Wow. And I was there on the bench alongside you as your trusty assistant coach, your right-hand, literal right-hand man. The, Even though I was watching the UW Lansing game <laughs> on the bench. An issue that most coaches have to deal with. So their assistant coach is watching another basketball game and trying to watch over their shoulder. Uh, also, the, another issue you deal with a lot, me having to go to the, your car at halftime to get... Baby Fantasy Genius's water bottle, in it, which was in his bag that he left in the in the minivan, and the door getting stuck in the oh, open yeah. position. Yeah. And so I was like out there for like 10 minutes trying to figure this yeah. out. Pop missed a whole quarter of one game one time. <laughs> he was trying to get Tim Duncan's door shut. Uh, uh, well, so this was the first. This was the first game you've attended. That is correct. Right, you got to see all these names in action. To you, they just sounded like. I mean, I'd seen the Gen, practice. Gen Z names before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd seen the practice. What I didn't know is how good your team was relative to other competition. Wow! And in this particular matchup against a team that was apparently missing its best player. Oh yeah, flowing flowing locks guy. I mean, I like have scouted. There's only three other teams, so I've like fully scouted every single other team. Your team fits together really well. You've got a couple of players who are quick and pressure defenders and can create kind of one-man fast breaks, which is very effective in fourth-grade basketball. Uh You have a couple of players with size to Mm -hmm. defend the opposing post players, and then some players kind of in between with the ability to create their own shot. It, like, for a team that obviously you didn't, the players were just assigned to you randomly, (laughs) it's actually quite cohesive. The the thing is, they didn't just appear cohesive. That's what you saw them after weeks of molding this team. What was the adjective you used earlier? There was only one way to describe the team. That's well coached. Oh, wow. It's just like you can feel the coaching oozing off of the players when they're playing in these games. I mean, you saw it. That's the thing is nobody else is out at half court being like, you are defending that player, right? I'm the only one there. Nobody else is as concerned with the true. defensive the op- matchups. The opposing coach, who appeared to also be a referee. <laughs> <laughs> also not an issue that most professional uh, uh, coaches you know, have to it's, face. It's very the different. opposing coach also being a referee. Oh, and the score not being updated during the game. <laughs> And so at one point, having the referee yell at the people keeping score because they weren't paying attention because they were on their phones. You know, fourth grade basketball is a different it's a different stage than I'm used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh anyways, yes, I think you did a really nice job with the matchups. There I've got rotations, right? Yeah, it, the lineups are cohesive, as you've talked about on this pod. I everything you said was accurate. You did a nice job. Their their best player in this particular game was kind of a, a physical post player for this level of competition who was <laughs> for a fourth grader was really aggressive using the off arm to fend off defenders and create space which alas was eventually called as an offensive foul a couple of a lot of fouls in this game there were a lot of fouls a foul heavy game my team is quite aggressive although they got called for a lot of fouls too yeah he got like two or three offensive fouls he was, was a, a little, little like watching the the sixers since they paired Harden and Embiid, and they're drawing a ton of fouls, but they're also getting called for a ton of fouls. There's just a lot of fouls in those games. Well, the most important thing was that my team, the Cavaliers, hit a pair of free throws. That is correct. 
Okay, so so we picked up huge W in this game. So far, I've only lost one game on the year, and I think. But you tied a game, right? We did tie that same team. We lost to that team and then came back and tied them. And I, I think if you gave me a third shot to play, then we're beating that team. Wow. It really is like we're getting... You know what they say? It's really hard in fourth grade to beat a team three times in a year. I mean, I... I or to beat out, and tie a team. I figured out the rotations halftime of the game that we lost. That was when I was like, okay, we, need, we have one good score. There are multiple good scorers, but there's one good scorer who needs to come off the bench. Right, I described him as hard and like on the Thunder. That that did come up. Also left-handed. Yeah. So it fits. Yeah, that that's everything I needed. Just be left-handed, score off the bench. You're James Harden now uh, of the fourth grade Renton Basketball League. So we had our last practice Roy, today. Roy Rogers apparently was, or excuse me, Rodney Rogers, I should say, was also James Harden like. Was he money off the bench? Rodney Rogers could for, he was buckets. For a little bit there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, we'll see. Maybe you're he can compare to James. You were the Celtics <laughs> traded for him midseason. Yeah. Uh, so we had our last practice of the season and I was like, we were doing photos. Um, I was like, we're just going to have fun giving out medals at the end. Uh, cause we're Americans. We give out trophies for everybody. Participation trophies. Uh, look, many of the baseball players on the teams with the highest payrolls are very anti more playoff teams. I saw that tweet. There's a Jock Peterson tweet where he's like, why don't we just have every team make the playoffs and give out participation trophies at the end? I'm like, dog, the entire sport is tilted. So you make the playoffs. I'm actually, I'm one of few people who is pro players and also pro more playoff teams. <laughs> like, I don't literally don't get why we're concerned with there being more. How, who does that hurt? How does that hurt? Explain to me how that hurts the players by having more playoff teams. Oh, I don't think it does. I don't think the players actually think that it hurts them. I think Why it's just are they a it? bargaining chip that they're using in the negotiation. Yes, no, have, I, I think that is true. Sure. But it's like Jock Peterson, he's on the Dodgers still, right? I'm, you don't even know who the fuck I'm talking about. I do know who Jock Peterson is. I couldn't like tell you. You think I'm describing him as a jock? <laughs> yes, I do. No, I know it's spelled with a G-O-C. J-O-C. J-O-C. Jock Peterson. Joke, like Job, would be a really aggressive name. In a league without a salary cap, where there is a handful of teams that have salaries that are like four or five times. Apparently did not play for the Dodgers at all last season, but did, in fact, win the World Series. But, like, spent most of his career at the Dodgers, has been tilted toward, like, there's no competitive balance. Oh, but there's a competitive balance tax. Great. That doesn't really affect Jock Peterson. He has been in the playoffs almost his entire career. So no shit he thinks less teams should be in the playoffs. I was, I was a little bit like, thanks for this intel, Jock Peterson. Anyway, we have our last practice of the season. We give out medals at the end. And I'm like, we're just going to have a fun practice. We're doing photos. And so the way that I decided to structure it is we're going to play games. I, I didn't know if anybody else would be interested in this. Where it is all of the kids versus whatever adults are, are interested in playing. I sort of stole this. You remember from my baseball glory. Correct. Yes. That happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's been mentioned on Belton Quartz. But that was a mixed roster. There's that no, was like... There's nothing you love more than playing against children. The, the, <laughs> it is true. Look, I'm a Jock Peterson guy. I like the competitive balance tilted toward me. Uh, Jock Peterson has made the playoffs every season since 2015. Great. Well, good for him for being anti-other people he, making the he playoffs. He did miss the playoffs. The Dodgers did miss the playoffs. Maybe he just didn't play in the playoffs in 2014. But so instead of doing it as a roster where it's like some kids and some adults were just playing a fun game, we did this hyper-competitive 
all of the kids, 10 children, against whatever adults were in the room and wanted to play. You did it like the, would you like to fight, face, fight, you know, so many, what is it, duck-sized, <laughs> I forget what the thing is. A bear? What's, what's the thing from Reddit? Duck-sized Re- horse or horse-sized ducks? <laughs> Isn't that it? What? Am I... I thought this is a Chuck Closter and hypothetical. There, there are some Chuck Closterman hypotheticals in this vein, but no, not this particular one. You look up your duck horse thing that you're fighting. Fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a thing. No, your meme has it. Fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Yeah, apparently Barack Obama has weighed in on this. Wow. So there you go. What, what does Barack Obama have to say? I'm waiting with bated breath from this Atlantic story from 2013. Definitely. One horse-sized duck. Why? I used one of my Atlantic articles on this. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately regret this. It just links to the Reddit page. <laughs> wow, you're screwed. Anyway, <laughs> taking it back here. So for the little kids, for the first graders, we're playing it pretty easy, right? Like, I don't know how, how competitive the other adults are going to choose to be in these games. I assume that we're all kind of on the same page, though. Luca played in that one. So it's like Luca, two other dads, and me against all of the little children you know and so we scored some buckets but generally we like let them win and then i was like at the end i was like okay whoever wins this game gets a medal you know as as if like the adults would actually be medals <laughs> at the end of the game so but they bought it they bought it this, is, this was with the first graders we get to the fourth graders okay right so we're doing uh, uh who could beat me just like waiting while we're taking photos I was like, can the children hit more threes than I can? I think they actually ended up winning that one, but they took like 50 times the amount of threes that I took. Uh, we tried to shoot from half court, couldn't make it at all or whatever. So I was like, all right, we're going to play all of the kids, all the fourth graders versus whatever adults want to play. I have no idea which adults are going to be interested. In I was like, this might be 10 fucking fourth graders playing against me. We're talking like 50 horse-sized ducks trying to play against me because some of those kids are freaking aggressive, which I learned playing the game. I got slapped. I landed on my hand and I was like, wow, that was not comfortable. <laughs> I was like, having having him defend me and trying to steal the ball from me as an adult, I cannot imagine what it is like as another fourth grader. <laughs> so anyway, I'm proud of myself for putting him on the best player on the other teams anyway so i eventually i rally some adults to play i think they're sort of like like they don't want to say that they want to do it but they want to do it you know what i mean and so it's like me uh the head basketball coach of mount rainier high school the first practice he shows up to is this practice We've got the our big man's dad who's like, I don't know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and then another kid's dad and an older sister who are playing. We fucking thrashed those oh, kids. No. I was like, are we, I was like, I, I'm expecting that we're going to take it easy. These dads are like rejecting them, stealing the ball from the kids in open space, the dunked, like... There were the Mount Rainier basketball coach. He's like fucking big country throwing it down two handed jams on the kids. And I was like, wow, we are really, we're, 
it's like the entire season. I know all the dads are on the sideline being like, God damn it. I wish I could play. Like when there's a, like a breakaway fast break and they miss the layup or whatever. And you're just like, fuck. Or like when they try, try to get a pass through and you're just like make a bounce pass, dude. But instead they throw it, try to throw it over the head of like five kids. They still did that when there were people like six, five, six, six playing. And I'm like, what in like, what does it take to make a bounce pass as a fourth grader? And the answer is literally you will not. <laughs> the, the limit does not exist. The, the answer is never. And so I think eventually by the end when we were up by, I truly don't even know, 30 points, 40 points, right? We're like fucking Harlem Globetrotter style, like passing it back and forth, making layups in a space. And I'm like, you realize you can defend people when they don't have the ball. There are 10 of you right now, and there's still somebody wide open the entire time. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty funny because I was totally ready <clears throat> to just take it easy on the kids. And these dads were like rejecting them. Oh my God. It was everything that I ever wanted from basketball. So we found other people who love defeating children <laughs> as much as you I, do. I truly was shocked. When, More like, than you do, apparently. Like, like, I was like, I'm trying to take it easy, and everybody else was not. And I was like, all right, tight. <laughs> I was like, I kind of like, we're doing this right now. <laughs> I see why you wanted to make sure the baby fantasy genius did not spoil this at all. <laughs> it's delightful. I mean, it is, it's kind of oh horrifying, but also delightful. No, we let him score a little bit in the end. I mean, I fucking ran up and down that court for two straight hours. I was sweating like, God, who's a really sweaty NBA player? <clears throat> Nick Collison? <laughs> sure. God yeah. bless him. I was like Nick Collison at the end of that game. Like, I was so sweaty. Running back and forth with the little children. They turned the ball over a lot. And then the adults were there like, look, if you could get a breakaway fast break, you're doing it. I mean, I hit all sorts of layups against those kids. <laughs> How how good were the other adults relative to you? I mean, obviously the the taller adults were, you know, the taller parents were good. But, like, did you hold your own here? Oh, yeah. It actually made me feel better about myself as a okay. basketball player. I mean, nobody was trying their hardest. Right. You know? But it wasn't like – I was like, okay, like – like the Mount Rainier basketball coach, like he misses jump shots. You know what I mean? He's not like every single shot he takes goes in. And that's kind of what I was expecting. I don't, don't know that many of those players exist, but yes. Yeah, it was just like, we're all just trying. You know what I mean? Well, <clears throat> motto for 2022. I'm sure that most random dads in this league are not like playing basketball that often. Sure. The, the, the Mount Rainier basketball coach in particular was I was wondering about. Coaching I mean, he's like a foot taller than me. Yeah. <clears throat> but it, it wasn't like, it, it, it was funny because he was like, he couldn't help but coaching. He's kind of like me on the court. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, he's that, a coach. your comparison. He's kind of like me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Me, not you. I No, no. Yeah. That's what I'm no, saying. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm always, I'm always coaching oh. everything all the time. Right. On, with the children. We're like, they fuck something up. Even if I'm on the other team, I'm going to be like, go rebound, make a play. Like the referee Cut. was doing on Saturday. Yeah. Sometimes you just like need to. And so he was like, he was like motioning for everybody to move and do stuff. He was like hollering stuff out and like the ball would go out of bounds slightly. And he'd be like, play through it. You know what I mean? Just like, okay, yeah, this dude is a freaking coach. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny, but Did I would. Did he talk to you at all after the practice? He said, he said, thanks coach. Wow. <laughs> The highest compliment you you have said you have to mention in the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be called the demand to be called the coach. I seriously, this is the As most fun the... that I have ever had coaching. Was coaching that I was like, God, 
I, I feel totally out just, of my own. Just today or in general? In general, this team. And I think it's because, like, again, the stack, the deck is totally stacked. Like, the amount of kids who are competent on the team, it's like every single player on the team is pretty good at basketball. At the very end, I found out that there's some uh, 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 service time manipulation going on, if you will. And really? Four of the kids are oh. from, like, the Des Moines area. And there's no basketball league in the Des Moines area. Oh, okay. So that's why they were coming over. And so they're traveling all the way to Renton, like pretty deep, to play in this league. And they'd all been playing together for years. <sighs> but I didn't do anything to make that happen. You know what I mean? I just showed up and I was like, all right, here's some fucking children. I remember the first practice, I was like, these kids are trash. I was like, I seriously was like, wow, fourth graders at basketball. I was like, I think the other fourth graders are good. And the ones that I'm coaching are awful. And then as I saw them play against other fourth graders, I was like, oh, okay, I understand. <laughs> but let me just tell you, you know who's good at spacing? All of the dads. <laughs> That's great. Congrats to all of you. I mean, I probably would have pretty good space if I had been out there as well. We were all, you should have been there. You would you would have been like you would have gotten into it too. You'd be like snagging rebounds over children. You just kind of can't help yourself. That that is fair. The competitive juices the, kick in. The spacing is the real one of the real problems that I feel like children have when they're playing basketball. Yeah, there's. I don't know when you get the sense of that, of spacing. It's yeah. maybe when you can hit a jump shot. No, I don't. Well, it's not just that because it's also like what you said on defense, where you just run to the ball, and at some point in your life. You grow out of just run to the ball. And I don't know what that specific point is where you the switch is flipped. It's not fourth grade. Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that wasn't the case. I didn't start playing organized basketball until fifth grade. And I don't feel like it was like, I mean, like we were, you know, required to stay there. To match up our, with a specific player. Yeah. In our league. But even like when we played at recess, we, you know, I don't think that we were just like all running to the ball. We had a rule that in recess that only one person could play defense in the backcourt. So I would just do that since I could run all day when I was in fifth and sixth grade. I still feel like my, my basketball game, anytime I come across someone who's similar to me playing basketball, I, I assume that they are actually a soccer player. <laughs> Why? These are like good at running for a long period of time, but they're not You're very like skilled Steve at basketball. Nash over here, <laughs> but like no, no. Again, I'm You're saying, like, oh yeah, everything I learned from you, playing soccer. Did you hear the part where I said not very I skilled, I but they've got so much stamina? That's the thing they've got going. For you have them. that much stamina? Relative to people when I play pickup basketball, yes, usually as like forty year olds. No, I played against, like, when I was playing against the Storm staff hoops, that was much You had more people. stamina than everybody else. Yeah. I think I have stamina after today. Good God. No, congrats <clears> to you. <throat> All right, let's do the roundup. Uh, <laughs> or the Kraken's losing streak has reached seven games. Oh, God. We have to talk about that? Coming off, coming off the high of children's basketball? Uh, you know, it's, well, we're going to have some other lows in this. Some other highs, some other lows. Uh, they did get a point last Thursday with an OT loss to Boston. <laughs> Uh, as part of this losing streak, they host Nashville on Wednesday and then head out on the road trip to begin a five-game stretch on the road. Wow, that'll probably go well. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, I like that the high point for the Kraken in the last week was an overtime loss. That was not the high point in the last week, the last three weeks. Oh, my God. The Sounders had a high point. We should have, we could have toasted to this if we hadn't already finished the beer, which was good. The, th the beer was good. I agree. They had a 5 nothing win 
in the second leg of their CONCACAF Champions League matchup last Thursday versus Matagua. Uh, remember that they had a scoreless draw on the road in Honduras. Uh, so needed to win that one and did so comfortably. There had been more than 120 scoreless minutes to start that aggregate series, but then the floodgates opened, starting with a Nico Ladero goal in the 34th minute as they poured in four goals between halftime and the 73rd minute. All five goals on Thursday by different scorers, including Jordan Morris's Hello. first goal since his ACL injury. There we go. We and didn't toast to that? He scored his first goal since the ACL injury. Well, we were going to talk about it here. And Leo choose. You have me out here talking about children's basketball. Leo Chu's second goal in a Sounders uniform to cap off the 5 nothing win. Sounders reached the CONCACAF Champions Wait, can League. I ask you a question about this before you move on to the next piece? I, I'm sure that you told me how good Matagua was. but Not good. Okay, so this they were expected to win. I mean, anytime you play a CONCACAF Champions League opponent that is not from the U.S. or Mexico, because that's my you should probably win. Oh, really? My expectation is anybody that is not an MLS team is better than any MLS team. No. It's a, just the Mexican teams are better. Liga MX, there's a huge separation between Liga MX. Liga MX is here at the top. MLS is a little bit below them. And then generally the other... Like, now the Sounders did lose to a, That's a team from say. Honduras two yeah. years ago, but that was a surprise. And it was also a stronger team from Honduras than than uh, Matagua was. Okay, so, so this wasn't... I mean, I saw this performance, and then we'll talk about their... their MLS opener. I saw this performance and I was like, the Sounders aren't going to lose this year, right? This is fucking an amazing attack. I mean, I think it did represent like the potential of this team, adding Albert Rushnak to the mix, you know, bringing everyone back from last season's team. But I, I wouldn't get too excited. I, also, they were playing, it was like 25 degrees in Seattle last Thursday. I don't know if you recall that. And they're from Honduras, <laughs> not the weather they're used to. So I think that was an edge for the Sounders as well, especially when you go down three nothing and you're playing in this freezing temperature. No, yeah, it's like, like fuck it, give me, me the hell back yeah. to Honduras. Okay, so what's next in the Concacaf Champions League? Well, the level of competition is going to step up pretty considerably as the Sounders reach the quarterfinals for the first time since 2018, fifth time in franchise history. They will face a familiar opponent in León, a rematch of last year's Leeds Cup final. In Las Vegas, won 3-2 by Leon, uh, who finished third in the Liga MX Apertura. That was the, the fall season, as we learned a couple weeks ago. Losing in the finals Thank of those playoffs. Me. I know we learned that a couple weeks ago, but it was some, some of us have forgotten it. Out the other. Uh, losing in the finals of those playoffs to Atlas. They are currently seventh in the Closera, the spring season, through seven matches. Angel Mena, who scored twice in the League's Cup final against the Sounders, still with Leon, although their other goal scorer, Emmanuel Giliotti, now plays in Uruguay. So, not be part of the mix this time. Uh, and, and so, if I recall correctly, from their previous match with Leon, Leon is the better club. Yes. Right, it wasn't really particularly close. No, we we'll see how seriously they take it. You know, they some of the Mexican squads don't take Concacaf Champions League as seriously as some MLS squads do. So that could be a factor. But obviously, they took it League's Cup seriously enough to make it to the final and win. So you would figure they will Which here is as a well. Newer competition and a less prestigious competition than the Concacaf Champions League. The League's Cup this year. I think it's this year, is expanding to, it's a, like a month-long competition involving everyone in the league. I mean, the goal is to make it an important competition. Yes, and it's going to be basically, it's an ability for League MX and MLS to come together without actually merging. So That's kind, kind of the goal. It's like these two, these two leagues are 
pretty good. But together, maybe they're really good. Well, also, like, Liga MX makes a ton of money when those teams play in the U.S. <laughs> and the U.S., there are more Liga MX fans here than there are MLS fans. So when you could have the two leagues play against each other. If Liga in MX the US... could just play in the U.S. <laughs> yes, yeah. this is what we're saying. Uh, Meanwhile, fucking baseball owners are fucking billionaires. So the Sounders no will, fans, not a single fan, but somehow billionaires. Sounders will host the first leg of that one. That won't be until a week from today, as we record this. Uh, the following Tuesday, they'll host. I'm going. Did I tell you that? You, you didn't tell me that. Oh, That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Hope it's not freezing then. Probably won't. Be. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be freezing. I don't think so. I think we've moved behind beyond that. Uh, in between those matches, a pair of MLS games for the Sounders, who started their regular season with a disappointing one nothing loss to Nashville SC on Sunday night. So did you watch this match? No. Okay. But I was generally aware of what was going on. They couldn't find a way through against Nashville Stout defense, which I you know, I I didn't like do enough research on this part of it. Last season they set an MLS record wow. with 18 draws. They only lost four games the entire season. So this is kind of what Nashville does. I'm you're, moving there. That's why I'm gonna, going there this weekend. Because yeah. soccer. <laughs> you just love... Uh, well, I mean, we're Italian fans, so yes. You love <laughs> it is true, it is true. Catching audio. Really seems natural. <laughs> uh then the Sounders had a defensive lapse to give up the match's lone goal and lose this one one nothing. Had just 0.5 expected goals according to 538's shot-based XG model. Was this an this is an intentional decision by Nashville SE? Yeah, I mean they've just got a lot of good defensive players, not a lot of attacking talent, and that's how they play. All right, I kind of like it. I I would really I don't like, like it. it, but I respect it but grudgingly. I think the thing that would make MLS more interesting is if there were different styles that were consistently played across different clubs. I mean, right? I there are. I mean, I think LAFC is like the most explosive offensive team in the league, but they can't stop anyone. Gen- like generally, I want it to be like over a long period of time, right? It's like you've got the fucking, in college football, college football is more interesting because of all of the different styles that are played. I mean, I think I'm it's sure. easier at the collegiate level because you establish a system over a period of time. and Why can't that, that happen system. in MLS? I'm well, because sure they fire happens. the coaches way too often. including Bob Bradley got fired by LAFC. Did he? He did. But international soccer, there have to be clubs that have this history where they're like, okay, this club does this. I don't know enough about international clubs to be like, they have this reputation. They have this reputation. But we know at at national team level, the Brazilians are going to play a certain style. The Italians are going to play a certain style. I think it makes it more interesting to be like, you're getting this whole host rather than just like, kind of like degrade soccer players on every team. It would be fun if there were different ways to approach it. You you know, uh, like if you have Nashville and it's like Nashville is always going to be a defensive team. And you know, that like this is, that makes it more fun, right? A season. Yeah, I suppose that's probably the case. Uh, The Sounders did play Sunday without Raul Ruiz Diaz, who had left the CCL match on Thursday at halftime after experiencing hamstring soreness. Sounders expect to handle that injury conservatively, given the long MLS season ahead of us. Uh, So we may not see see Ruiz Diaz again on Saturday as they head to Salt Lake for a rematch against RSL, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs in last year's shootout loss. Also a revenge game for Elbert Rushnak, who left Real Salt Lake for the Sounders via free agency. Ah. So it'll be an emotional matchup, I'm sure, in Salt Lake. You say the best revenge is served 
by playing soccer on March 5th. <laughs> that is cold. Yes, I think that checks out. You played soccer in Salt Lake and like City on March 5th. A game that if they held more preseason games should be a preseason game, but somehow counts. Well, speaking of preseason games. Hello. O.L. Rain will participate in a preseason tournament hosted by the Portland Thorns at Providence Park starting Saturday against the Thorns, continuing Tuesday against Chicago Red Stars before concluding Friday against the U.S. Women's wow. National Team's U23 team. That's it's sort of their equivalent of an adults versus the, the, uh, the children matchup. I'm cheering for the adults. Uh, Is that well, wait? That's all rain, right? They're the adults. Yeah, Megan Rapino, yeah. come on, yeah, playing against U23. <laughs> I'm basically Megan Rapino out there. <laughs> I, no, no, I'm rejecting that. We're not allowing you to compare yourself to Megan Rapino on this podcast. No way. When my hair was dyed different colors, I've heard a lot of ridiculous things from you on this podcast, and that's where I drew the line. We did have before I looked like Kellen Rowe. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have some Megan Rapinoe here. UW softball. Ugh. Stunning results in the Mary Nutter Classic. I'd say this year, not, I wouldn't even consider it a classic. Mm. Where the Huskies <laughs> lost three of their five games. A 7-5 to five <sighs> loss to San Diego State in their opener on Friday. To, is San Diego State good? Uh, They're receiving votes. Not good. Who's... Did... Gabby Plain start that game? She did not. Okay. She started the second game of the doubleheader that night as they beat Loyola Marymount 2-0. Then hours later, starting on Saturday morning, bright and early, Plain got touched up in a 10-0 run rule loss to number 8 Missouri, surrendering seven runs in three and a third innings. Just take me to the Todd Golden update. Wow. <laughs> in the second game on Saturday, the Huskies got a great pitching effort from Kelly Lynch, who went six innings and allowed just one run. <sighs> could not score off number 14 Northwestern in a one nothing loss to lose both ends of the doubleheader. Then Plain did return to form Sunday, shutting out Iowa State in a one nothing win. So despite that one bad performance by Plain, the real concern is what's happened to UW's bats. After averaging 8.2 runs in their 9-0 start, the Huskies have averaged just 1.3 oh, runs during their last six games with a 2-4 and four record in that span. And alas, the scouting report on freshman Olivia Johnson seems to be out. Kind of, kind of had a feeling on this one. After hits in her first six at bats, she's gone three for twenty-two oh, since God. then, including hitless in her last seven games with more strikeouts, five of those than walks, three in that span. I hope there's a chance for service time manipulation. Well, you know, it's a very early in Olivia Johnson's career. It's going to be a long career, I... but the the pace of Home runs in every at-bat for the first two. Hits in every at-bat for the first six. Impossible. I think on base, 14 consecutive appearances to start the career has fallen substantially <laughs> off from that. Look, we, we've moved the curse to the back burner, right? <laughs> it's true. The, these two, the, the Nashville game and the UW softball weekend, they brought the curse back to the oh forefront. Oh, my God. It was it was a classic case of giddy. What about UW up. basketball? How I many they've won one game in or UW men's basketball? I don't think we can consider them cursed. Some people here predicted they were going to go winless for this season. But, but they've won one game in their last seven, eight. I think it's like five. I don't think it's that many. And deep down, the metrics are they're just as bad as that fucking Fresh Prince remake looks. Like, you think that looks bad? It looks like the worst show on TV. It looks like, sorry, the worst show in TV history. Oh, wild disagree. Really? Yeah. 
with the freaking Nas music made you look in the background, you're just like, wow, every single part of this is bad. Let's talk about the real reason you moved out here. It's like, Carlton is saying this? Did they never watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I would say they watched The Fresh... You know that Will Smith is involved in this remake, right? What? Involved. He's involved like Russell Wilson is involved in the Eat the Football or whatever, right? Just putting your name on there. Executive producer. You, you've not seen the interview with Will Smith, like the, the IG with Will Smith talking about coming scene. So this was originally like a, done as a trailer. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was just a trailer. And the guy who did it, like Will Smith got in touch with him and was like, yeah, we should actually do this like, as a yeah, series. I want to make a really shitty season of television. He's like, I want to take People this, who have seen this. I want to take this really good IP that we have. Mike Sean Dugar, third Pelton brother, Mike Sean Dugar. Mike Sean likes it? Has said it's good. <sighs> but you unilaterally I'm decided sorry. based I'm on sorry. the trailer that it it's bad. so bad. But I'm will, I'm willing to. You got me with Mike Sean. Hey, thank you. All right, fine, fine. Anyways, I'll admit defeat, just like the fucking Husky softball team admitted well. defeat over and over again this weekend. <laughs> well, an amazing transition. Uh, UW softball only dropped to number seven in the rankings despite their four losses thus far. Huskies will play in the UNLV tournament this There's weekend. There's some sort of other team that we can pay attention to for the season now <laughs> no, that's no. where we're at they fell to number we're seven following too many other teams already are there high school prospects that we should be paying attention to facing new mexico state and houston back to back on friday houston and host unlv on saturday and new mexico state again on sunday is this a the, the unlv tournament it is yeah God. uh in happier I, news, Gabby Plain got run ruled. It's it was one game, and it was like she had to have like four hours sleep. They played at like nine p.m. on Friday night, and then like nine a.m. on Saturday night. Who's doing the scheduling for this? The WNBA? Wow! If I understood that reference, I'd really, really be behind it. Does the WNBA schedule games, or they schedule really late games and then it's early games? Mostly just a reference to travel. That's a oh, big okay. topic today. It's sort of like, like Dave Sims when you get to like inning 23 of the one really late game, and they're like, the team will be playing, and they have the day game the next day. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you're like, oh, the team will be playing in just six hours from now or whatever. And you're like, man, golly. Oh, boy. Jared Kellenick better rest up to go swing the bat four times. Um, but Gabby Plain is out there actually playing baseball. Softball. But yes. In happier news, <laughs> UW women's basketball. Wait, so she started the late game against Loyal Marymount. Correct. And then also started the morning game. Correct. Throw it out. That's what I'm saying. I mean, literally, don't even. Like, she had shutouts in the Friday night and the Sunday game. It was only in between those. Couldn't Kelly Lynch have started the, that game? Or did they want Gabby Plain starting it because of... I, I got to say, who's the UW softball manager? Heather Tarr. Heather, still Heather Hart. Heather legendary. Tarr. I think if you're, if you're me... Look, I, I know a thing or two about coaching. I don't mean to come back to that point, but... Are you going to compare yourself to Megan Rapinoe again? <laughs> I've never seen Megan Rapinoe coach. Um, <laughs> might be better. We're talking 7-5 loss with... Who's Kelly Lynch? Uh, no, I think in that one, it was Willis started and Brooke Nelson relieved. Okay, so we have a 7-5 loss to San Diego State. Gabby Plain comes in in the night game, shuts down Loyola Marymount. Gabby Plain comes back in the morning game. And Missouri was the best team they played we, this weekend. We knew going into this game 
that it was going to be in the morning. It wasn't a surprise. No, it was, it, it was on the it was schedule. scheduled previously. Yes. Well, why do you do that then? I, I, I'm out there fucking half court being like, Landon, <laughs> you're defending this kid. That's it. Right. There's no like shenanigans that are going to happen where they trade after that. I'm like, you're defending that kid. And that is it. If I'm Heather Tarr, I'm saying, Heather Tarr, you go shut down San Diego State and rest. And then the next morning you come back and shut down Missouri. You can't tell me I'm wrong about this, right? If you're, if you were, let's say we're going into this weekend of Husky softball, and I, there you're have been up- some decisions that have been surprising to me about when Gabby Plain has started this season, but I don't have the full picture of college <laughs> softball. I'm not the residue of knowledge about college softball, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reserving judgment about it. Okay, so it, it went. Kelly Lynch started, didn't start the game on Friday against San Diego State that they lost. Non-Gabby Plain starters on Friday, first game. Okay. Gabby Plain. Not, Second game Friday. Or Kelly, Kelly Lynch is the clear number two starter, though. No, she actually has not pitched that well this season until Saturday. It was pretty surprising. Brooke Nelson, I think, has been their second best pitcher thus far. Northwestern is another tough team, though. Correct. Who Kelly Lynch did shut down. Correct. It was a very impressive performance. So. I feel like you do. Kelly Lynch on Friday morning. Someone else. Or, sorry. Gabby Plain Friday early. Somebody else Friday late. Gabby playing Sunday early. Saturday early. Saturday early. Somebody else Saturday late. Gabby playing back on Sunday. That's how you should structure it. It does seem like the logical way to do it. This is not this is not on UW softball. This is on Heather Tar. Not starting Gabby playing in the right places. I'm sorry, but that's it's clear seeing this. Again. Not having seen any of it. Like this is how things are developed. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't see any of this either. I I just followed the box score at times. Uh, happier news, UW women's I'm basketball. I'm sorry, but do you Wait. not agree with me about this? Again, I keep saying to you, logically from the outside, yes, it appears that is the case. Heather Tarr knows a lot of shit about the team that I don't know. And it's like you should pitch your star pitcher late one I night. Mean, and they then only the scored morning? two goddamn runs against Loyola Marymount, who's not a very good team. So they needed Gabby Plane to pitch that game. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they should start scoring some fucking runs. Okay. All right. I Look, I don't even know who's starting on offense, right? Maybe Olivia Johnson is too young to be out there. Do they have any other options? I mean, she hasn't started every game. They've, okay. they've mixed it up a little bit. So <sighs> it's a long season. Not as long as the MLS season. Some of certainly. us, some outsiders, not on this podcast, were saying <laughs> that UW softball is going to go undefeated this year. I heard it in all sorts of different places that we're talking about UW softball. And yeah, right now... Unaware of the impossible, implausibility of college <laughs> softball teams going undefeated. Okay. What UW, UW women's women? basketball got a second consecutive win last Thursday in fr- thrilling fashion at Cal with Haley Van Dyke making the winning free throw with two seconds remaining. Van Dyke came up with an offensive rebound after Missy Peterson missed two free throws with the score tied and five seconds left. And then Cal missed a three that would have won it at the buzzer. Then... Uh, Van Dyke had 20 points and 11 boards. Nancy Mulkey, 17 points and four blocks in that one. And then the Huskies gave the number two Stanford Cardinal a huge scare on Saturday, leading with a little over a minute left before Anna Wilson, Russell Wilson's sister, uh, came up with a steal and a layup to give Stanford the lead for good with 103 remaining, part of a 10-0 run to finish things out. A 63-56 win for Stanford that completed a 16-0 Pac-12 season for the Cardinal. 
I'm cheering for Anna Wilson there. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Pac-12 tournament begins this Thursday. Huskies will face Colorado, who finished fifth in the conference at nine and seven. Huskies lost their lone head-to-head matchup in Boulder by 23 points, but playing their best basketball clearly at the end of the season. Uh, having won two of their last three, and again, given Stanford a scale. They've also won two of their last uh, 14. 14. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it were... really depends on how far back you want to But that's what I'm it. saying, is they had the 0-10 stretch, and then, or 0-11 stretch, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're going and playing their best basketball. They've won seven of their last 15, or 20, <laughs> 22, I guess. Again, the best basketball is relative, and they are definitely playing it. Uh UW men's basketball. Speaking of which. I, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times against Washington State. As you noted, he reversed scores. Uh, on, on Wednesday, they lose 78-70 in Pullman, come back to Seattle on Saturday, and win 78-70. So completely even Steven with Washington State on aggregate. They don't even have a, the away goals could not be used as a tiebreaker, would have to go to penalty kicks if this were an aggregate series before a 77-66 loss Monday versus UCLA. Uh, that game in Pullman, the Huskies played without both Dejon Davis and Emmett Matthews Jr. after Emmett Matthews Jr. had a concussion. Uh, still even with the Cougars at halftime and win one in the closing stages before Washington State pulled away for a rare single-digit win for the Cougars in conference play. Although they got another on Monday we'll talk about. Oh, wow. Then Davis and Matthews both returned from injury on Saturday. Huskies returned the favor, first win over their rivals at Heckhead since 2019. This time they trailed 34-28 at the break and then outscored Wazoo by 14 points in the second half, controlling things to get that win. Uh, they overcame 30 points by Michael Flowers as no other Washington State player scored more than 10, while the Huskies had three players in double figures led by 25 on 8 of 21 shooting from Terrell Brown Jr. It was definitely like... I feel like the Huskies have like shown a little pride in their city. You know, it was a moment of like, you could feel that Husky basket. I don't want to say Husky basketball is back or something like that, but it felt like these players were like, we're fucking winning this game against Wazoo in our house. You know what I mean? We're not going to let Noah Williams come in here and dunk on us again. And it really felt like seeing the two times was enough. Well, seeing the little skirmish at the end, there was some heat behind that game. There were fans there. There were. Yeah. So it it really felt like like that game. Look, none of this shit matters for either of these teams. You know, these are all. It does matter for Wazoo. That was a bad loss for them. They're not going for what the CBI, the NIT. Like, it doesn't matter in the grand. Both of these seasons are a wash. For these teams, I, I, that's a that's a like. This is your like. We need to put 128 teams in the NCAA tournament. Oh, I, I strongly agree with that take. Like you have different levels of seasons, even if you. No, but but it would be nice if 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 the Huskies felt like they were building towards something. That would be great. And with all these players, most of whom are going to be gone next year, it sort of feels like it's been a really nice season. Terrell Brown's going to be gone, and we've built toward nothing. And at least you've shown that. Mike Hopkins can be reasonably successful with players that he has recruited and Lorenzo <laughs> Romo, yes. which I think is an important hurdle to establish. No, I, I also think Mike Hopkins has done... Look, we'll see if he ends up as the coach of Syracuse at some point because it sure I, seems like... I don't, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know if the offer is going to be there, but 
he's established some roots in the Seattle area. And it's important that this is with Seattle guys. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I mean. That's what I'm saying, though, is like Dejon Davis, Charles Brown, they had fucking pride in beating Noah Correct. Williams yeah. and Wazoo in Seattle. It, for the first time, I feel like in the Mike Hopkins era, it felt like like this is our city and Seattle's you're not team. coming in here yeah. and winning. And I think that was a it was a pretty cool thing. And it's something that last year, granted, it was a, just a terrible year all around. Yeah, I mean, how, last how year I give more of a pass. But two years ago was when Noah Williams came in in the last game of the regular season for the Husky. Or the last game at Heckhead, I think they played two road games the following week. And it was right around the beginning of the pandemic in Seattle. And that was like very much a statement win for the Cougs. That was Kyle Smith's first year, I think, at Washington State. It was and, just kind of pitiful at the time. But this was, they had fight. They were from Seattle and they represented. I, I would much rather a team of local players get their asses kicked than a team of players from upstate New York get their asses kicked. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, I 100% agree. Yeah. Like if you can, if you can go out there and recruit players from Seattle and they get crushed, whatever, right? At least you, there's, this is not like a fence around the state type of fucking thing. This is like, there are good players at these high schools in the city of Seattle and we should be recruiting them and bringing them here and establishing roots here. And eventually it'll work. Eventually it'll lead to Paulo, the next Paulo Banquero coming here. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe not the next Paulo Banquero, but maybe the next Nolan Hickman. Or whatever. I have no Actually, idea Actually, you is. know who? Uh, <laughs> he's, he's at Gonzaga. Uh, you know who hasn't played a whole lot this year? Just keep. I, I mean, I have no. The I, white guy? No, no, no. Jackson Grant? No, no. I have. I have <laughs> You're going to watch out for him when he's on Wyoming next year? No, this is not what I'm going to talk about. Wyoming's better he's, than UW. He's not. They, they are. They did win at UW. <laughs> they have a very good chance of making the NCAA Jackson tournament. Grant should transfer there. Who? Who should we watch out for? Guy who's not playing a lot this year. Shane Noel in Arizona. Oh, not interesting. Not playing a lot. Oh, you think he's the next Terrell Brown? I mean, Benedict Matherin is probably is certainly going to go to the NBA, so there'll be more minutes available. But Jalen Noel's brother goes to Arizona. Yeah, that was one of the really disappointing not things. Fucking sign him. <sighs> I, I is he think, good? Yeah, he was a highly regarded recruit. I mean, certainly UW wanted him. God. So I, I think that Mike Hopkins is a little credit as I want to give. I and mean, look, he's had a pretty good Pac-12 season. As little credit as I want to give him overall, right, for taking over from the best coach in Husky basketball history, who was wrongfully fired. We know. He, at the very least, recognized heading into this year, everybody on the team left after last year, and I think I'm widely hated. And I widely hated is not a fair way to put it at all. People did not leave on good terms last year. But people wouldn't come here to transfer to play if that was the sentiment. I Th think that's that what people hated the experience of losing constantly. Sure. He rallied around. Who is the dude? He transferred to Wichita State. Well, you're thinking of Eric Stevenson who transferred no, 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 from no, Wichita State. There was a guard that we had that was like the best shooter on the team last year. I swear he went to Wichita State or some school like that. Are you thinking of the backup point guard who who wanted to play more? I think he had like braids. Look up who that person was. But he rallied around this year players from Seattle, and that's a big deal. And they ended up playing pretty well in Pac-12 play. Marcus Sohn is the guy we yeah. were. Yeah, where did he go? VCU. VCU. I guess that is I, kind look, of like pretty fair. I'm pretty close. Uh, he he is not playing a whole lot for VCU. The guys who transferred from UW is VCU good. Uh, yeah, they're number 59 in the country. 
but Sahonis isn't playing for them. He's playing less than he He'd did He'd be last the best season. shooter on this fucking team. Eric Stevenson is playing a lot for a South Carolina team that's in the bottom half of the SEC. Hamir Wright barely played at all at North Texas. Don't know what happened there exactly, but uh, you know his concerns that he was being misused at uh, UW may not have come to pass. Raekwon <laughs> Battle transferred to Montana State, uh, where he is playing more regularly than at UW, but still not a lot, but he's shooting 37% from three. Is that good? It is compared to the 20% and 26% he shot at at UW. We would definitely take Raekwon Battle right now. I mean, Cole Badjama has stepped up and is actually shooting the ball quite well this season. I so that's thought been an Cole Badjama was Eric Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> Today you learned. Uh, although he's only shooting 31% from three. From Where did Cole Badjama come from? He was a transfer from Michigan. Oh, I literally thought it was the same dude. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of transfers in college basketball. You can tell how actively... Tristan follows This is older. his first year, Cole Badgema? No, this is his second year. He was here last okay, year. Okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. I think I, I'm pretty sure I thought he was Eric Stevenson. All right, so Monday's game against UCLA wasn't <sighs> really as close as the final 11-point margin indicated. Despite the Huskies actually leading by three at halftime, you said, like, could they actually do this? Oh, yeah. And then, no. They yeah, no, no. That's, were, we, we should have never thought it. 16-2. We should, we, you, you got to be negative, right? We got to be like major league. I don't think it was going to make a difference in this one. The fan who's in the outfield being like, they still suck until the very, very end. <laughs> until Jack Parkman is striking out in Major League Two, right? That's where we have to be. Outscored 16-2 by UCLA to start the second half, trailed by as many as 21 before <sighs> a late rally led by reserves. And the unfortunate news was that Dejon Davis left that game in the first half after appearing to aggravate the right shoulder injury that had sidelined him the previous, or the three games previous to the Wazoo game. Mike Hopkins said post-game, he's day-to-day. Now, most importantly, I was watching this. I was on the treadmill and had it just like on silent. There were a lot of extraordinarily long stoppages in oh, the second half. It was a college basketball game. I was just like... They were, they were actually making jokes about it because Dave Pash had done the Clippers-Lakers game on Friday where they had the world's longest NBA replay review. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Sean Farnham was like, let's hope this doesn't go as long as that one. Also, a lot of complaints about how high up they were. They are at Heckhead, so you can't hear the like the referees. Oh, they're can't not come even over. on the no. What the broadcast position is up? They have Bill Walton up there too. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Who's the athletic director? <laughs> I think I think this predates the uh, the current put administration. Up, there's, there's nothing on the sideline. You can't be having Bill Walton up there. Okay, we've got a lot of complaints here. Heather Tarr and how she's pitching Gabby Plain. No, no. And where the bro- their broadcast booths, they have in the, the Clippers-Lakers, you said? Yes. They're on the court in Clippers-Lakers. Of course. But the University of Washington, home of Eric Stevenson slash Cole Pashima, whatever, cannot have Dave Pash on the court? What are you concerned with here? What is that space being taken up by? I... I'm not sure. If Bill fucking Walton walks into Heck Edmondson Pavilion, he should be on the court. He is he's blocking a lot of people's views courtside. Where is up top? <laughs> in front of the, between the first and second levels. That is, is broadcast position. that is offensive that we do that. God, just a, well, whatever. They're cursed forever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the secret is they'll never make the NCAA tournament again. So you better hope they expand to 128 teams because that's the only way Husky basketball is making it. 
Uh, so they'll host the Oregon schools this weekend, Thursday against Oregon, who has been wildly up and down this season, beating UCLA twice, but also losing at home to Cal and at Arizona State losses that currently have them on the wrong side of the bubble. Uh, they can still secure a buy in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament by winning in against the Washington schools this weekend, having blown out the Huskies in Eugene. Then Saturday, the Huskies host Oregon State on Senior Day for fifth-year seniors Terrell Brown Jr., Dejon Davis. Jamal Bay and Emmett Matthews Jr. have the option of returning for a fifth year, although they are also listed as seniors, so we'll see whether they participate in those festivities. Uh, things have not really gotten any better for the Beavers, who dropped to 1-17 in conference play with Monday's home overtime loss to the Cougs. That lone conference win came back on December 30th against Utah, so Oregon State is on a 15-game losing streak and hasn't won in 2022. Have had some close calls lately. They also took USC to double overtime at home last Thursday before losing. As we look ahead, if the Huskies and Cougars both finish tied, so that means they win uh, in, in they split their two games against the Oregon schools and have the same result against Oregon. UW would win a likely win a head-to-head tiebreaker by virtue of sweeping Stanford. That's what it would come down to. I don't think based on my read of tiebreakers that UW can finish any higher than sixth going into the Pac-12 tournament. They could hypothetically drop down to ninth if they lose both games this weekend, although that would that would also be kind of unlikely. All right, now you're told Todd Golden update. Fine. Uh, number one, Gonzaga. Really came steamed to- about the University of Washington. I'm like pretty mad about this. They actually put, like, what is the point of putting the broadcasters that high up? I mean, it, you, those are your most valuable tickets are where the broadcasters But they sit. have a sideline area, right? No, the TV broadcast is always on the other side of that for whatever reason. So. Interesting. No matter what. As far as in my experience, yeah. So they only have like one sideline booth where they have the scorers and the PA announcer and shit like that. And the visiting radio broadcast. But the Huskies radio broadcast is also up top. The visiting radio broadcast gets to be on the court? That's that's the one broadcast that is done from the court. Do you do you think in your professional opinion that it is a better view to be up higher? Is there a logic to that? There is some value to being up higher, but obviously the ability to be close to the court and hear everything that's going on is outweighs that most of the time. It's a joke of a school. Uh, they're not serious. Not serious about competing. That's that's the reality here. This is a great season for the University of Washington. They're not an embarrassment. They don't have to fucking pay the buyout to their coach, and they just skated by. This is exactly what the University of Washington wants for basketball. They don't want anything more. They get to not pay the players, get TV money, get fucking ticket revenue from selling tickets during a pandemic. Very little ticket revenue during some of these games. And they just skate by. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking to win games. You don't win games this way. By having the broadcast booth not on the court? Just have a professional level setup. You think Paulo Boncaro is going to come play and have Dave Pash be sitting in the fucking rafters? Actually, Duke, I think, is also like that. No way. They've got something unusual about the broadcast You think Dick Vitale's sitting up there? No fucking way. Is he still broadcast games? Uh, Not this season because of his battle with cancer, but generally, (sighs) yes. 
How's Todd Golden doing, though? Uh, so they lost 89-73 at home to Gonzaga on Thursday before the Zags were upset by St. Mary's on Saturday in their regular season finale. Uh, USF, the Torreros. I really like that Terreros, one. The, uh, Dons, that was my favorite part of the college basketball season so far. Yeah. Then beat San Diego 78-62 to in Saturday's regular season finale to finish 10-6 and in West Coast Conference play for those six losses to Gonzaga and St. Mary's. USF enters the WCC tournament as the number four seed, which means a double bye to the quarterfinals and likely a third matchup against BYU, which would decide the season series between the two teams. That's probably the game they need to win to make the NCAA tournament. Where do they? Where are they sitting? Have you looked at the Joe Lenardi bracketology? I haven't today, but I I think there's still probably I don't I don't assume that Gonzaga lost changed things dramatically, so probably still in like the last four in uh, range. I'm I. It's so wild. I used to like pay attention. Last to this, four this buys. Yeah. Okay, wow. San Francisco's looking pretty good. Yeah. Again, if they beat BYU, who's first four out right now, then they're probably comfortably in because then their next game would be against Gonzaga. Where do you think San Francisco would sit if they were in the Pac-12? Does it go Arizona, UCLA, USC, San Francisco? I think they're actually higher rated in Ken Palm than USC. I'm almost certain of that. USC is comfortably in, though, right? Yes. I mean, USC is better. Yeah, I mean, USC is down to 39. USC has... Where is San Francisco? 23. Oh, my God. Wait, can we just hire Todd Golden? Why do we have to let him go to Arizona State? Uh, some other teams that are, like, really high. Boise State, I did not know, is number 27 I'm in the country. You, it is a very random group of teams in that range. That was a, that was a debate we had, whether there was an unusually random group of teams there. They, when was the last time San Francisco made the NCAA tournament? In the 1980s, Boise State, currently an eight seed in the bracketology. Let's fucking go. I don't know. Who is their coach? That's a great question. Hopefully not Brian Harson. Um <laughs> I, I guarantee you it is not Brian Harson. I'm well aware of where, where Brian Harson continues to be employed. Uh, Leon Rice, who's been there forever, was a Gonzaga assistant at one point. Uh, yeah, before that. Why do we have to be saddled with... Todd Golden is taking the San Francisco team. It's not like they have like one amazing player, right? They just have a good team. Yes. He didn't end up with one like crazy recruit or anything like that. I mean, it is a senior-laden team this year. They last made the NCAA tournament. Utah oh, they did make it in 1998. Is okay. also a senior-laden team. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of senior-laden teams this year. It is true. And had maybe the worst worst loss in program history. The NFL Combine <sighs> begins on... Began on Tuesday. Uh, four Huskies in Indianapolis this week. Quarterbacks Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie. Tight end Kate Otten. Hello. And offensive lineman Luke Wattenberg. Uh, by our next pod, the window will have passed for NFL teams to use the franchise and transition tags. So we'll see if there's any movement with the Seahawks and Quandary Diggs. I'm still no not way. expecting no it. No way. Uh, the other bit of Seahawks-related news. The host teams for the 2022 NFL International Games were announced on Monday. And they feature three teams the Seahawks will play on the road. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, who will host a game in Mexico City. New Orleans Saints in London. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who will host a game in Munich, the first ever regular season game in Germany for the NFL. So a possibility the Seahawks end up in an international game, although the odds are still like one in three, I think, out of that. That's not bad. We'll take those odds. I mean, I, you're... Like adamantly against caring about this. 
just like we're like parsing this out to see whether they could be playing it. I mean, you're gonna find out four months before the season starts. There's still a long time before the season starts. People care about shit. You work at a company. You work in a sport where people care about whether news is reported a millisecond before another person. And you're like, we'll fucking figure it out four months before it happens. That is literally all the entire sport of basketball. They don't care about the games. All people care about is whether a transaction is found out by one reporter or another within seconds of each other. That's it. End of sport. I don't even know what kind of mood you're in today. What? Is this because you, you do, do you disagree with the children? That? <laughs> I'm all energetic. I I did drink a uh, a ginger ginger shot before this. I had to pet myself up. I think it might be flowing through my body. But think about this. Let me give you a perspective here. I mean, if you'd specific to the NFL international game. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about. I'm not going to go back to. How people should just wait and find out the information. Look, read the newspaper the next morning. <laughs> That's just, look, Sports Illustrated comes once a week. You'll find out what the takes are then. I That's mean, what you sound like. I, I don't think that is what I sound like. I'm just saying we don't need to, like, you know, be that excited about the fact. You know who's probably playing road games against one of those teams? Who? Everyone in the league. From a competitive balance standpoint. Right now, the Seahawks are playing more home games next year than road games, A. That is B, true, like everyone else in the NFC. If you take one of those road games and you move it to a neutral site game, that's a pretty huge deal. That is potentially the difference between the one seed and the two seed, the, <laughs> winning the division, and I, I'm just well, saying. Let's, let's say it's the, divi- the difference between being the sixth seed and out of the playoffs. Let's go with, let's go with realistic expectations here. This fucking team... Had- you are way too down on the Seahawks right now. This is a team with Russell Wilson in his prime. But, whatever. I, it doesn't matter the exact seating itself. I'm saying there, there's a big leap in, in the NFL playoffs. Obviously, this didn't play out this year. Between the one seed and everything else. Between having a home game and being a wild card or whatever. And between being in and being out. There's a lot of different tiers that matter when it comes to the NFL playoffs. So, getting one game. If you could take a game against and literally any of these three teams. These are all very, very... We'll see about the Saints. I, honestly, we'll see about the Buccaneers, too. Eh, we'll see about the Cardinals. But <laughs> no. I mean, we'll see about the Seahawks. We'll see about a lot of teams right now. There's quarterback flux in the whip. No. The, I think the Cardinals is probably, from the outside, looks like the hardest team because they're the one who's keeping their quarterback. Um, but, like, the Saints and the Buccaneers still have pretty good rosters outside of that. And if you were to take one of those games that is a true road game and move it to a neutral site game, all of a sudden you kind of look at it and you have nine home games, seven road games, and one neutral site game. That's a pretty big difference when you're comparing it to these other teams. Nine games and eight nine road home games and eight. But, but no, I'm saying the teams where the the competition between the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Rams, and the 49ers is extremely tight and it's very close. Even though the Rams won the Super Bowl, the difference between those four teams is not that great. I just made such a good point. You're so upset about it. I suppose. We'll see when they announce it. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it would be cool if it happened. And also it would be fun. Sure. You, you don't think it would be fun to wake up at 7 a.m. and watch Seahawks Saints in London? Well, the last time the Seahawks were there against the then Oakland Raiders, Raiders it yeah. was a 10 a.m. game. 
Yeah, I don't like that. I, I like the 7 a.m. Jacksonville Jaguars time. <laughs> That's the time my flight is on Thursday. I'm not, not looking forward to that. Oh, man. I'm flying tomorrow night. This is like the best flight that has ever happened. Premium class. David has David has seat. We're in row nine. He has seat A. I have seat C. There's nobody in seat B right now. You better knock on wood on that one. I, I, I mean, whatever. Either way, I'm happy. But like, it's a long enough flight. You think they do two drink service? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have fucking two Bloody Marys on my way to Nashville. Get in. It's going to be midnight local time. 10 p.m. Seattle time, though. Well, the bars will still be hopping. Yeah. So... I, I don't know how long it's going to take to get out. I don't think we're going to be able to make it to a bar because like it literally gets in at 1140 or something. So by the time you get off the plane and I travel to East Nashville to the Airbnb, it's probably going to be pretty late. Uh, I, I, I don't know, though. Maybe. I don't know what time closing time is in Nashville. It was, it was clearly after I went home when I was in Nashville. You think it's late? I think it is, yeah. Wow. And I'm a mile from... You understand that like it's like Vegas East, right? Really? Yeah. I don't know if they have the open container situation. Oh, where were you staying? I stayed like way out of downtown because the Titans were playing. So there was like a massive demand for downtown hotels. <laughs> the Titans are not playing now. Not playing this week. <laughs> that's that's correct. Let's see if John Morant's in town. The, uh, the Preds might be. Uh, I'm staying in an Airbnb in East Nashville, which is like the neighborhood where the bars are. Okay. Wow. Uh, that's what I'm telling you. Like, this, it is the perfect setup for a flight. Flying yeah. in the evening, getting there, and then I'll wake up. It'll be Thursday morning in Nashville. It'll be beautiful. It go, probably will be. Go meet up with some publishers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll eat some hot chicken. Well, on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.